Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. This episode is called... Not bad for a number two driver. That title suggested by Stuart Neal on Twitter. Runners-up are Neal102, Charles Glows, whilst Vettel blows. Perry Brown suggests Monegasque Monza Masterclass, and we're allowing that alliteration because Nick is on today. And Even H says Vettel spins and bins while Leclerc wins. I'm your host, Richard Spanners-Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Durumpitz. How's it going, Matt? Uh, it's going great. I, I can't believe you left off fatal drums. Round and round and round he goes. Where he wins, nobody knows. A sensational victory for Charles Leclerc today in front of an ecstatic Monza crowd. A fantastic day for Ferrari. I'm absolutely delighted, Matt, that Leclerc was celebrating in that emphatic fashion that he did after having to be so subdued last week. It's almost like he doubled up and it was beautiful to hear. Yeah, I mean, he was and at the home Grand Prix in front of the Ferrari audience, the full Tifosi kit deployed, smoke and everything. And just, I would say, as much as anything to me, it was just the pressure he was under for from lap 20 to the end, the pressure he was under and he survived it and won it from the best driver on the grid right now. That is a thing. That is a thing that you don't get to do every day. You couldn't have scripted it any better. I don't think anyone can begrudge Ferrari or Charles Leclerc their day to day. Uh, no doubt he raced very well, but was he a lucky boy? The panel are split on that. So let's dive in. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Yeah. 
We're also joined in the podcasting shed today by PR man Chris Stevens and Nick Numbers Alexander. Chris, we've got to start with the qualifying debacle, surely. I don't think I've ever seen a qualifying quite like that, but the internet, because the internet is a thing, is very split on whether this is a, a disaster or just a jolly fun thing to see on your F1 weekend. Yeah, and as usual with the internet, it's always one extreme or the other, isn't there? There's no sort of middle ground, um, which is where I uh, sit on this occasion, uh, really, because as much as I was very disappointed uh, to to not have a proper shootout for pole position and, and see everybody giving it 110% on the fastest track on the calendar, um, I can I can see why, you know, this was a, a unique scenario because of the effectiveness of the toe and nobody wanting to go out first. So there's really not a need to change anything in the format per se. Um, but I, I was, you know, upset because they, they, they played themselves more than anything. Uh, Nick numbers, Alexander are resident Tifosi. Some people are saying that I brought you on just to try and jinx Sebastian Vettel. So I deny that completely. It did, however, completely work. The, the qualifying for you, how did you see it? I didn't see it as a problem. Um, I, I think a lot of people, they have one thing that happens one time uh, or maybe two times and they're immediately jumping to legislate changes to make sure that it never happens again. But uh, this was a very unusual farce. It was very funny to me. I thought it was hysterical. Um, but until it starts happening every weekend, I, I don't think it's a problem. And I also don't think that there's anything that says that we have to have two runs in Q3 and we have to have a final shootout. Um, sometimes someone's first run is very good. Sometimes the conditions are changing. It starts to rain. So I never understood why that was some sort of prerequisite that apparently we are all entitled to. That That's a fair point, isn't it, Matt? Uh, Chris, sorry, because the Q3 timings do lend themselves to two runs and we are adapted to that. But at the end of the day, you've got 10 minutes to get your, your run in. So the people who didn't get a run in, in the first, the first lap, you know, unlucky, did Albon chose not to go out in that first, that first run, didn't he? Yeah. And I mean, I, I disagree with your point about the rain because that's whether you can't do anything about it. And what happened in Monza was purely down to the team's uh, own, own strategy falling back on them. I think what stung more was the fact that because Kimi Raikkonen went off and we had a red flag, we had four or five guys who hadn't actually set a lap time and we had a Q3 session where there were only five, six times on the board and it wasn't really a representative session because uh, even some of those guys had to back off at Parabolica because that's where Raikkonen went off. So my moniker is numbers. I believe it was eight drivers set a time, including Kimi, and it was only two drivers that hadn't set a time if that helps the argument against you at all well that, okay well initially it was more than that because it, even Bottas's time didn't count initially and then suddenly it popped up on the timing screen because of this weird rule where a red flag doesn't actually come in until the teams are informed about it which seems like a great idea doesn't it you know oh there's a big red flag being waved and it's on the boards but let's let this guy finish his time yeah it's like the the excuse uh from that Chappelle skit where he gets pulled over and he says, I'm sorry, officer, I didn't know I couldn't do that. <laughs> uh, look, the, the Q3 thing did look farcical. And I think you can't get away from the fact that the, the teams messed up. 
so we've had this evolution of the slipstreaming. I think the first time we kind of saw people getting in a muddle was Alonso and Massa trying to trade slipstreams at Monza a few years back. And then we've seen it become more and more important and, and, and seeing people going, no, this is the crux of our Q3 qualifying is to get this slipstream. And I think, Matt, it's just this is just the natural conclusion of that. They've finally gone too far and it's self-policing because the next time the slipstream is an issue, they're all going to remember this and go, oh, oh, yeah, remember Monza. Yeah, I got to say, and I know this makes our show very boring. I was a huge fan as a cyclist of watching people going slow to race. This was just genius. Like it was high stakes, hold and poker. You've been out in front of the pack forever. You've been out in front of the pack forever. And there you are being chased down on your breakaway. You and one other guy and you come to a standstill because neither one of you wants to lead the last hundred meters as they roar down on you. I mean, the drama in that is tremendous. And, and I think really the reason a lot of people were unhappy with it was because the television direction utterly failed to capture it. But if you were watching Sky afterwards, they showed the onboards from signs through that lap, and it was a completely different picture and much more compelling. Okay, so I know early on in this conversation and pre-show, and also the opinion of Alex Van Jean, who unfortunately is unwell this evening and can't join us. Rest up, Gene Z, get well soon. Uh, the The Q3 times is all about seeing the fastest ultimate time, and we got we got denied this shootout and we need to stop this kind of thing happening so that we always see a Q3 shootout. But I would posit, and perhaps Nick will agree with me, I couldn't tell you from then on board without a commentator and without the timing screens who had done well on any given lap. Unless there's a big snap sideways and you go off track, I couldn't look at the driver on board from like the computer game point of view and and tell you the order. Even between a Ferrari and a Force India, I couldn't tell you who'd driven better. So in Q3, all we're really doing is watching the cars going around, seeing if they make a mistake, and then waiting for Jack Nichols or David Croft to say, he did it. And and that's, to me, I'd rather see a tactical element than just say, oh, it's purely about the fastest lap. That's what qualifying is all about. It's supposed to be about who can set the fastest time. The other thing that, that really bugged me as well. Sorry, Nick. To, to avoid, we, we talked about this in last week's show, didn't we? Because we had a couple of near misses with the two Mercedes. And uh, I, I mentioned in, in Moto3 now, where this is a very common problem, they have a minimum lap time. And they sort of introduced a similar, what they said, a safety car lap time, which is about one minute 45 or one minute 43 um, to, to, do a, to do an outlap. So you can't take a longer lap than that. But they just introduced it as a very vague rule and actually didn't, decide on a punishment for it so as much as all of those guys in q3 broke that rule nothing happened okay so without opening the uh the can of worms about the definitions of words getting into contact with wheels and all that i think it depends on your definition of of what the ultimate pace is and i don't think it is the ultimate pace it's the relative pace so if the whole field could have gone one tenth two tenths faster by going all for a second run, then I don't really feel deprived because all it is, is, is setting the order and the ultimate time to me is not as interesting. And if you go back to the, the velodrome indoor cycling example that Matt brought up, I believe they don't even keep time. So they'll wait forever to get started. And it, it, it's very, it's one-on-one relative just who crosses the line first. And 
doesn't have to be so quantitative. Yeah. Well, the first point I'd like to make is that nobody is that nobody actually violated nobody actually violated that rule. That everybody who was dragged in was under the one minute forty five second advisory time. Yeah, really. Um, and the thing about it is where you run into trouble is with things like what we saw Vettel do on his first lap when Mercedes dummied starting out and then pulled over to do their stops and he was in the lead and he quote unquote locked up and went straight at the first chicane. We saw Hulkenberg do the same thing. Now where we're getting into is like now the drivers are taking advantage of the wording of the rules. Oh, I have a reason I went off track. So technically I didn't break a rule. But we all know looking at it, and as it was made obvious, that they that they created that situation to have an excuse for themselves. And this is where you run into trouble. And that's what caused the problem. Hulkenberg coming back on, people being blocked because no one wanted to go faster. This is where the danger lies. And and that's where you start to skirt the edge of the rules. But I th- I think it's very much self policing because at the end of the day Hulkenberg did not make it to the line and didn't agree get to yeah set a lap so there's no need for any punishment in my opinion and the only thing that I could think that you could legislate because they did make it in the minimum lap time was that maybe you could make a rule that says that if they're going to leave they have to leave sooner <laughs> so that they make it but no, you, I mean that's ridiculous no, no, so Nick, I think there's nothing to be done yeah, really you, you're right it's self policing so so those guys didn't get through qualifying holkenberg's fake lock up and reason to go into the turn one set of chicanes was about as convincing as rosberg in monaco or rosberg actually in monaco in monza uh, when he uh, Oh, it must have been 2014, wasn't it? After the Spa contact, and then suddenly, like Hamilton was owed a win, and Rosberg mysteriously left uh, left the track at T1 in Monza. But I, I think there is a preciousness about qualifying that it's meant to be somehow the ultimate test of raw speed, and and we are somehow entitled to see the the fastest cars putting in the fastest lap. And I fundamentally disagree with that. It is part of the sporting weekend. If it was just about the fastest cars doing the fastest lap and the fastest drivers proving what they could do, we would just have what we had in them olden days, which was an hour session. And whenever you feel fit, go out and set the fastest lap you can. And everybody used to go out in the last five minutes because no one wanted to lay down rubber for anyone else. The fact is qualifying is part of the sporting weekend. That's why we split it up into three. That's why there's a sporting element where five get knocked out and then another five and then you have the top 10 shootout. The tactics are part of that. That's why we have Q2, the tyre you finish on, there is the tyre you have to start on. That's all part of the sporting element. It's not some pure, mystical, magical uh, uh, event of its own. It's just part of the sporting weekend. So for me, I loved it. I think people need to chill out a little bit because it's self-policing. Uh, but it was great fun. And it's something we'll talk about for years to come. Oh, man. Remember that qualifying in Monza? That was crazy. And uh, for for that reason alone, Chris, I liked it. It, it must be said as well, we're not going to have this issue again, really, for the rest of the season, are we? Like in Singapore in two weeks' time, they're definitely not going to be queuing up for a tour. They have the exact <laughs> no. problem. They don't want to be yeah. each other. Dirty air. Yeah, I think this will be a great memory in the future. I see this being a, a future trivia question. Like, true or false, at the Monza Grand Prix <laughs> in 2019, eight drivers went out in... <laughs> In Q3, and none of them made it to the line. <laughs> like, okay. uh, no way that happens. Okay, Matt, I want to get on to the race, but uh, I 
got criticised as soon as Stroll got into Q3. I had several people at me on Twitter and the the, the implications seemed to be that I would be somehow hurt, irked or hurt or that I had been proved wrong by Stroll getting into quality. And the general theme of the tweets was, what say you now, person who criticised Stroll for his previous poor performances? What say you now that he's done well once? And my response is kind of, well, well done. I think all the things I said before about his qualifying performances were still true. And unless I said I hate Stroll, which I don't, I have no agenda against Stroll. And unless I said that I particularly wanted him to fail or I predicted that he would never get into Q3, then I have no particular comment on him doing what was expected this time. Uh, Nick, any comment on the team orders in Ferrari? Um. No, I think it's kind of goes back to what you said. I don't want everything to be exactly perfect and by the book and you just go out and you set your lap. Um, I really like that there was tactics and gamesmanship and that you can do a little courtesy lockup and kind of try to get yourself out of giving your, your teammate a toe. I'm, I'm all about those kinds of mind games. Um, and I love hearing, uh, old stories about teammates from, you know, the olden days, pulling those kind of shenanigans as well. Right. Well, I don't want to hijack your uh, amazing stroll statement there, Spanners. You're but okay. I did want to bring up that the reason I felt that Perez going out uh, was important was because he wound up uh, with an engine problem going out. And this is the second weekend in a row that we've seen Mercedes have reliability issues. And I think that's kind of important. Yes. And that is going to feature, I think heavily in Hamilton's uh, chase down of uh, Charles Leclerc. And in fact, I think we should probably go on to the race. <laughs> Do you know what? It does help if you uh, if you disconnect your soundboard because it was making a crackle that only you could hear and it was slightly annoying you. Do be sure to reconnect the soundboard when you want an actual bumper. Okay, Matt, this is the part of the show where we talk about the race strategy. Clearly, there's a lot to talk about around the decisions that were made in the Stewart's office, uh, the changing dynamic uh, around Ferrari as well. But also, I think we should start with discussing where the race was won and lost. Absolutely. And as is always the case, the start is a critical phase of the race, although mainly uh, because the top three all were able to preserve their order going into the first lap. And beyond that, what became the feature of the start phase of the race and what actually set the entire race up for being the way it was had to be Vettel spinning on lap seven and the utter flaming disaster that followed it. Yeah, because that really changed it from how could these two teams battle each other to suddenly Leclerc's on his own, he's got track position and Mercedes have almost two rolls of the dice to come at him. Precisely. They have the luxury to send one person long and try and undercut with the other person. And that wound up being precisely what they chose to do. They chose to try and undercut him with Hamilton. Now, Hamilton was starting to complain about his rear tires uh, about lap 16. Mysteriously, Mercedes uh, mechanics appeared in the pit lane. Ugh. Again, nothing happened. We talked about this last week, didn't we? They seem to do it on a race by race basis. And uh, as much as I admire Mercedes, they are blatantly doing it to bluff. They were trying this time, Chris, weren't they? They were trying to get 
Ferrari to blink and come in. And maybe get them to go onto the hard tyre as well, because they brought out, if I remember rightly, the hard tyre when, in actual fact, they were going to go onto the medium. So I think they fancied the idea of uh, perhaps Ferrari pitting early, going onto a tyre that wasn't going to last them the race, forcing them onto a two-stop, and then them going actually a little bit longer, and then watching the Ferrari go off the cliff again like they did in Spa. Yeah, I mean, you would think that was it. Although the hard tire might have been for verisimilitude as well, as the medium tire would not have made it from lap 16 to the end of the race. Which brings us to the actual pit stops. Lewis Hamilton in lap 19, out, mediums, setting purple sectors, doing his dead level best to close the gap to Leclerc, who comes in and, I think to my surprise, and perhaps the surprise of many people, strapped on a set of hard tires. And this was intriguing because the hard tires are not as quick, but they are more durable. Okay, so that put us in a position where Hamilton was out behind Leclerc pretty much as you were, but now is the time for Hamilton to try and stretch his legs. He needs to get past before those soft tires start to go off. And in fact, we probably see with Bottas a bit later on that they did go off a little bit before the hard tires. But did did Mercedes play this right? I mean, had Hamilton not come on the radio and said, these these rears are cooking, because that, that was him, Chris, wasn't it? He was making the call to say, the rears are cooking, I don't think the overcut is going to work. And that stopped Mercedes keeping, I was going to say arguably, but not arguably, Mercedes keeping their Trump car, their Trump driver, out for the, the longer strategy. And perhaps it would have been better to, to risk Bottas with the undercut and leave Hamilton out a bit longer. So I expected Mercedes to play this strategy, but I expected them to play it the other way round, i.e. pit Bottas yeah. first to look like they're trying to get the undercut, force Leclerc in, run Hamilton long, and he then chases down Leclerc on fresher tyres, i.e. how they won the race last year. So I was a little bit surprised to yeah. see them do it the other way around. Could it be that they ran that exact tactic in Spa and it didn't quite they didn't quite have enough they ran out of laps and they were thinking oh this time you know we're not going to do the same thing again if we let Leclerc come in and put in hot laps then Hamilton's going to end up being seven eight seconds down the road by the time we pit him but then this time there was no Vettel to block him so uh, maybe it was worth a shot cool and Matt uh, that kind of that kind of sums up the strategy apart from the fact that Leclerc had to then deal with Hamilton and uh, a couple of virtual safety cars yeah, and, and this is the third thing that uh, potentially caused them some issues and could have been, might have been um, critical, was that with these virtual safety cars occurring, uh, lap 29, lap 31, essentially what was happening was he was losing temperature in his tires more rapidly than Hamilton was. So every time the virtual safety car came off, he was once again vulnerable to being attacked by Hamilton, who had absolutely no problem at that stage in the race getting close to him. Yeah, just a little bit of color commentary. I was definitely sweating bullets about the about the restarts, and I was losing my mind when there was a second virtual safety car, and I thought, like, that's it. There's no way that on the hard tires versus the medium tires that he's going to be able to get a good restart twice back-to-back and, and live to tell the tale, and very impressive. Wait a minute, you're not expressing a, a, a preference over which driver would have won the race today. You're not expressing a bias, are you, Nick? 
Sure. I think there's like 18 drivers out there that I'd be happy if they would win. <laughs> well, all right. As in just not Hamilton. Okay. Fair enough. The, the anyone but Hamilton uh, fan base is quite strong, uh, to be fair. Uh, but yes, of course, like I was cheering on Hamilton in that scenario. I think Gene Z would be as well. Chris has never expressed an opinion before. So for you, you didn't care who won. No, I just like seeing a, a, a good race. Um, just to contextualize um, the uh, the idea about the, the mediums versus the hards uh, on the safety car restarts um, is that the hard tire takes longer to get back up to temperature. Uh, and to be honest, I was surprised Ferrari ran it at all because usually that's like a reserve tire that if your front wing gets knocked off on lap one, you stick the hard tires on and run to the end of the race. Uh, because it can just about do yeah. that but the temperatures were a lot higher than they expected them to be so i think it was maybe slightly easier to get it back in the working window but what really um helped ferrari and, and leclerc especially was that even with the slipstream and with drs the mercedes could only match the top speed of the ferrari well that brings up two interesting points one of which is ferrari actually ran on leclerc's car the hard tires and they were faster than vettel on the mediums on race pace. And the other being uh, this interesting call that we had from Hamilton, I need more power. And you could see, like if you were watching, and I did, I went back and watched them on boards. If you watch the Ferrari, the exit of Parabolica in particular, they just were able to launch the car. Um, and again, even from the, uh, even from the end of the first turn, their acceleration and top speed were what set them apart and gave them enough of an advantage over the rest of the lap to sort of keep Mercedes at bay. But that missing power, that was critical. Yeah, and it was summed up nicely in our chat room by Richard McGill. You can join our chat room by going to YouTube and searching for Missed Apex Podcast, and then you can chat along whilst watching us. In the phone, you'll get like our picture on the top and then the chat room at the bottom. Richard McGill says, Ferrari were just too quick in a straight line today. And Nick, as a Ferrari fan, you've watched... Ferrari this season, by their own admission, go for a low downforce philosophy. It must have been maddening to hear Bonotto going, oh, well, maybe we should have done more downforce or gone for more downforce, because that seems obvious from, uh, you know, from the sofa as a, as a sofa uh, team principal. But obviously in these two tracks, uh, Spa and Monza, it really can make the difference to have that low drag, high speed philosophy. Yeah, I did. I didn't actually catch that comment, but that is funny. It's a bit like saying, "I think we should have made the car faster." <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, like, maybe, yeah. You, you, you think maybe if it could turn um, quicker, that would be great. We should have done that. But yeah, obviously, obviously, that did benefit them today. The other teams probably, you know, I know Red Bull will strip off loads of wing for for Monza, and I'm sure Mercedes did the same. But since they don't have that same philosophy as Ferrari. Ferrari were able to utilize it better. So Mercedes might have gone, oh, do you know what? Yes, I know we should strip downforce, but we still have this feeling that we want to be good in the corners. Yeah, well, I think Anthony Davidson made a really interesting comment um, that Mercedes, they have lap speed with this setup at Monza, but they can't race with it as effectively on tracks like this. And I, I think that wound up being very, very true for Mercedes today. Yeah, well, you've got to get you've got to get pole. And uh, just quickly, you were mentioning uh, Perez and his engine failure in qualifying. It, Hamilton was asking for more juice. He was asking for extra modes, and they didn't give it to him. How crucial do you think that was today? 
I think it was very crucial because not once did we see Hamilton able to seriously close the gap down the front straight into turn one, which is where so many other DRS passes were affected. And I, I think that put them in a position of having to pass into the turns, which in, in which gave Ferrari and gave Leclerc more options for defending, although exactly how legal those options were, I suppose we will get into later. Hopefully we're not jumping all over the place, but you did mention Red Bull, and we haven't really mentioned Red Bull a whole lot because Red Bull hasn't really been in the mix. And it hasn't been because of their high downforce philosophy or anything like that. They just haven't, if they if they started the race in the top 10, they crashed out in the first turn, or they had penalties or they crashed or whatever, and they, they started in the back. So um, yeah. I, I think that had a big effect on the race as well. Uh, Mercedes' ability to go two-on-one against Leclerc was strategy because Vettel's not there, of course, but also because Max isn't there and Albon isn't there either. There's nobody there. I mean, they have a pit window to Ricciardo. It's a funny one with Red Bull. They assumed they would be bad at Monza, so took penalties here, whereas actually they might have been a little bit more competitive than perhaps they'd originally planned. Uh, But yeah, I mean... The the tactics were fascinating, but somewhat simplistic in this one-stop race. I think the two things we should focus on in this race, apart from Formula B, is the fact that the Ferrari dynamic must have changed forever now. I think we'll we'll go to Chris first, and then and then we're we'll, obviously we'll talk about some of the decisions that came up later in the race. But you made a boxing analogy, a somewhat clumsy boxing analogy, based on boxing movies you had never seen before. And apparently Chris hasn't seen any of the Rockies. Um, but I have. I've we, seen one. Okay, put it this way. We asked, is there any way back for Vettel? We were criticised uh, about maybe being premature. I felt we'd held off on saying that for for a long time. And we then in the summer break also talked about how Ferrari might have done had we forgiven all of Vettel's mistakes. And it, and it just feels like today it validated all of that with Vettel going off all on his own and Leclerc taking a storming victory after a very aggressive defensive drive and being ruthless in qualifying. I mean, with your boxing analogy, where are we? Yeah, so I I did make this uh, analogy uh, last week, uh, even though uh, during that famous Joshua Klitschko fight, I was asking the question, oh, who's he fighting? not realizing that they were actually two different people. <laughs> okay, good. So your core knowledge of, of boxing makes you perfectly placed for this yeah. analogy. But but where, where are we in this title fight? Well, yeah, so my analogy was that Vettel was like a, a big heavyweight champion boxer, one of the greatest in the world. And that at the moment, he's up against the ropes, taking blow after blow. But that race, that was the knockout punch, unfortunately. And I, I this is the first time I've seriously wondered if he will even bother to continue with Formula One in 2020, because he's even getting the media pressure about it now. You know, do you still love Formula One? Do you still want to to do this? And that is just a whole nother level. And if there's one thing that makes Formula One drivers want to quit, it's people asking you, do you want to quit Formula One? Uh, now let's uh, let's talk to a man with a hammock in the background of his video, which I can only assume is your actual sleeping arrangements that is where you sleep on your own in a hammock in an otherwise empty room 
Uh, no. In fact, there are other rooms in this dwelling. Well, but we can only to argue. We can only guess. Uh, Nick numbers Alexander from somewhere in America or Canada. You are pretty much our token Ferrari fan, and and you have been a Vettel fan. I've, I'm I'm sure that is influenced somewhat by your connection to Germany and the fact you are a German speaker as well. Is it a mixed bag? For you today, seeing your your favourite driver make yet another horrific, unforced error, or can you celebrate as Tifosi? It is absolutely the latter. I am over the moon, ecstatic. Um, Charles screaming into his helmet and clipping his microphone is is as accurate of a description as how I felt at the end yeah. of that race, as can be had. Um, he had to fend off so many attacks. Legally or otherwise, um, he had both Mercedes drivers to, to deal with. He had the safety car restarts. I mean, it was a real nail biter right to the very end. So, um, overwhelmingly just excitement. Uh, not going so great for, uh, either German driver this season. Oh, yeah, no, Hulkenberg was uh, yeah. Nico Hulkenberg being out of contract, uh, and whatnot, but most, mostly excited for the Ferrari victory from pole in Monza. It's hard to, Hard to be sad after that. I have to say, as a Vettel fan, you've never been a blinkered Vettel fan. And since you're German, I suppose we should say Vettel, Vettel fan. That's uh, fine. You would never allow that. <laughs> I know. You know, you know how, how stringent I am on pronunciations. But again, he just spun on his own. It's yet another unforced error. I'm going to defend him slightly. I'm going to defend him, Nick, and I'm going to see if... if, I know you wouldn't just jump to any defence. Tell me if you think this is valid. He really did excel when he had the highest downforce car on the grid, when Red Bull had that super high downforce philosophy, when he could do things with a blown diffuser that other drivers couldn't do and that Mark Webber could not adapt to. He is now in a car that just wants the biggest, fiercest, most ferocious engine and for it to slip through the air like a slippery eel. I think eels are slippery. Is is it just the philosophy of the Ferrari has just gone away from him? Okay, so I, I will just correct the record a little bit from before that. So when I say you would never allow it, I meant you would never allow me to be this blinkered <laughs> Fettel fan. No. Not that you wouldn't allow the No, I'd just stop inviting you on, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I have to be, you know, somewhat nonpartisan in that respect. And all I'll say to the rest of that is this. If we're going to defend other drivers in other seasons with the car was not set up to their liking, it doesn't work for them, then that defense should only be fair with this driver in this situation. Trumpets. I don't know. Vettel has, I mean, his first win came in a minority in the wet. I don't think it's fair to categorize him that Strictly, But what's hard to argue with is the errors, the category and type of errors he's making don't really speak to his qualities as a driver looked at historically. So so I'm, I'm a little bit on the fence. He may yet come back from this. This may not be the end for him, but it certainly is going to be a big challenge, I think, mentally and at Ferrari for him to uh, reestablish his authority as a four-time world champion. I know you're technically correct by calling it a Minardi, but I don't know what year you think it was in because it was a Toro Rosso. But I, I, I do agree with you um, to, to, to an extent in that, you know, he was very good at driving a certain kind of car as a lot of great drivers are. They have a car suited to them. And as soon as it goes away from you, 
um, you you suddenly look like you don't know what on earth you're doing. Chris, if you didn't know about Vettel's Red Bull career, if he was just a uh, a guy who'd come from uh, Sauber and had jumped into a Ferrari seat for five years ago, how long has he been in a Ferrari now? Five years. On his record, would you retain him for 2020 based on his Ferrari record? See, you have to take the rest of the driver market into account, really. Um, you know, it's, it's assuming there were other options. No, I wouldn't. Um, I think now it's not so much the speed because the speed is there. He's not like Kimi Raikkonen slow, but he's costing the team more points than Kimi was by not being on, on Vettel's pace when they were teammates. What do we think about the idea of moving Sebastian back to Red Bull? I don't think it would make much difference because the even the Red Bull is not the same car it was seven years ago. Sure, but how does it compare to the Ferrari? I mean, wouldn't it be an improvement? Wouldn't it be more to his liking, it might be less pressure too. I mean, he's trying to uh, reenact his childhood hero. He's trying to be Mikhail Schumacher, if we're going with our proper pronunciations today. Uh, And maybe just the pressure of, of being the German in, 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 uh, in Marinello is just too much. And maybe an environmental switch could be good for him. Well, I'm sure that future seasons may reveal that. I have a sneaky suspicion that he is going to be out of Ferrari either at the end of this season or the end of the next season. And and that's the beauty of Formula One. It's not played out over one race. It's not even played out over a season. It's played out in eras. And that's the fantastic thing about being a long-term F1 fan. Are you sure? Because every time something happens in a race, we try to change the rules so my understanding <laughs> is was that we were doing this day by day no okay we will definitely get to the rules in just a second what i will say is i, I do feel like we are validated with what we are what we're saying in the summer because we're seeing a switch in a season where ferrari actually started off quite strong and they had lots of opportunities to win when vettel was the number one driver they weren't taking those opportunities now that charles leclerc is coming into form you can see he's comfortable with the car because he's beaten seb in the last seven qualifyings suddenly yes i know that spa and monza are the two tracks that they were most likely to benefit from but suddenly they're taking the opportunities and it is leclerc strongly ahead of vettel in qualifying and on race pace. And it's hard to argue now that the thing Ferrari have been missing is a top driver that can drive that car well. As much as I think it's it's really down to this car, because let's be honest, this car is not a great car. Uh, f- apart from these two races, it is the third best car. Usually the, I'd say the Red Bull is the closest challenger to the Mercedes. And I think we'll see that throughout the remaining races, um, not least at Singapore, we are one of the highest downforce tracks um, on the calendar. So I think we, Ferrari have really exploited the opportunities they've had in these last two races. But I'll be very interested to see how uh, Leclerc goes over the rest of the season uh, on, on tracks where the Ferrari, uh, we expect, will not perform very well. You know, just for fun, I'm casting my mind back a bit to Canada when you say that Leclerc is winning on race pace. And I see Vettel leading the race, making a mistake, coming out, squeezing Hamilton and getting a penalty and losing the race as a result. And then here in Monza, I see Leclerc leading the race, making a mistake, squeezing Hamilton 
and not getting a penalty and winning the race as a result. And I think maybe not yet. It Vettel still has that experience, and I'm reluctant to write it off 100% yet. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, low stealth poses a question. If Ferrari go winless for the rest of the year, does it even matter to the Tifosi? Is the victory at Monza enough uh, to to scratch the itch for this year? And uh, I would say I, that I, would be a very low bar for the Tifosi to set. I was going to say yes. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. Well, there you go. No, I I think that would still represent failure. I mean, here's the question for you, Nick, as a as a Ferrari fan, if you saw the performance of the 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 Mercedes versus the Ferrari in Spa and Monza and this is Ferrari's two best shots to pick up wins and and let's say that Spa was the first race of the season right and and they've got the whole rest of the season to go tell me do you want do you want the Mercedes car and the Mercedes race pace or do you want the Ferrari car and the Ferrari race pace because looking at that Mercedes even though they've lost the last two races it still looks like the stronger package okay so we you're looking at the question from a vacuum and I'm looking at it given the way the first seven races of the year <laughs> okay, went. Now that you've been able to get a victory in front of your home crowd, are you happy? And the answer is yes, but I, I see what you mean. And I believe the situation you're describing is kind of how 2017 went, wasn't it? I suppose so. Okay, let's go on to those controversial decisions. Um, I suppose we we will kind of skip past uh, Vettel's spin and the contact will play a little bit of whose fault is this and cover it then uh, but we'll we'll talk about the stewards decisions they had some tough calls today and in my opinion Leclerc who raced very very well was a very lucky boy and and that's how it goes because 
you get good and bad calls in sport. You still have to to maximize what you do. And as Matt pointed out, Vettel had a similar-ish call like that go against him and be penalized, whereas Leclerc's gotten away with it today. You still have to maximize those opportunities, and he absolutely did. However, I have to take my hat off to Leclerc for being that aggressive, Chris, because if he hadn't have done that, Hamilton was past him anyway. So why not roll the dice and defend as hard as you can? Leave it to the hands of the stewards in Monza who, you know, favoured him. Yeah, Leclerc learned a very hard lesson in Austria, didn't he? When uh, Max Verstappen got his elbows out and won the race. And um, Leclerc certainly showed that he had learned from that, really getting his elbows out. But I was very very surprised to see that Leclerc did not get a penalty for outright shoving Lewis Hamilton off the racetrack. And this uh, this this yellow flag thing apparently is not yellow flag, yellow card. Yeah, thing, the black and white flag. Yeah, is, is apparently something that the drivers have, have asked for and that they want, you know, they're always saying, oh, fewer penalties and let us race. Okay, well, that, I mean, amazing, Nick, that that came up for the first time for a Ferrari driver leading a race at Monza and coincidentally all the stewards left the ground alive. I mean, quite, I mean, talk about serendipity. Uh, maybe the first time it came up for a Ferrari driver, but I don't think it's the first time that it came up. I think you could say that they applied a similar philosophy in Austria. Did they? You'd have to remind me because I, I can't remember. That was a uh, turn two or three and Max kind of just, I don't know. I feel like he kind of shoved Charles off the road. Uh, and I thought the sentiment at that time was, well, we wanted racing, didn't we? <laughs> oh, I but see. But that- they didn't specifically give him a black and white flag. But correct. The, the feeling for me, Chris, is the black and white flag is an admission that he had done something wrong, but they had chosen to go with a lighter penalty, which kind of painted the picture that it was situational or that they had, they had the, the, the charge was the same, but the sentencing was different. Yeah. So I think there's, there's a concerted effort now into not getting involved in the, the top echelons, you know, as Oof, it were, and mixing up. I don't the like that. Which, yeah, I, I kind of disagree with. But the, the, the black and white flag acts exactly as the yellow card does. You know, a footballer does something wrong. He gets a yellow card. You do it again. You get sent off the pitch. So I can, I can see why it works. But then at the same time, you know, there, were, there, there have been very similar incidents where drivers got, got penalties for that in the past. Uh, Valentino Valonghi tells us that the black and white flag was basically introduced in the previous race. So this may have been a change that was made over the summer break, or at least made official at the start of the second half of this season. Yeah, it came in at Spa. Well, what I'd like to do then is is play a little bit of you are the referee and say, well, what, what actually happened? Because you guys might not be absolutely stunned to know that as a declared Hamilton fan, I see these incidents as Leclerc being in the wrong. I, I would love to sit here and tell you that if it was exactly the other way round, I would be calling for Hamilton to get a penalty. Clearly, we're not in a scenario where I can prove that. So feel free to call this as biased as you like. However, I'm just going to look at the rules, Chris. You called it a shove on the outside of uh, that that ex- uh, that entry. It was a corner entry and the clerk just went all the way over. Hamilton, it wasn't a dive bomb. Hamilton was there. He was there the whole time. And then the clerk, to take the best possible racing line and to shut the door a little bit, uh, closed off to about half a car's width. 
Hamilton then had to go onto the grass to avoid an incident. It would have been inst- interesting if Hamilton had just stayed there. You know, would that have been deemed Leclerc just crashing into him? But there is a specific rule that you can't crowd a driver off. And by crowding, it means drive into the space that other driver is and force him off. And that that rule has been disregarded on the outside of turns. We've now seen that you're essentially now allowed to do it. We saw signs very confidently drive Albon off. And we've seen drivers actually since Canada and Austria do that, knowing that they're not going to get penalised. But very different, in a straight line, into the braking zone, uh, Leclerc just moves to the right-hand side and, and 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 pushes Hamilton off the track. Matt, I'm, I'm struggling, Matt, to see why that's not an offence. Do we agree that that isn't something you can do, or do we think that you can do that now? Well, if you're going to look at all of the regulations, uh, there is a bit of a conflict between them, in that, although you're allowed only one move to defend... Uh, you are allowed to move back to the racing line right, okay. once I... you have defended. Now, that doesn't deal with the crowding beyond the edge of the track, which I understand is separate. But in this instance, it may have, it was, it's certainly um, a conflict in the regulations that allows the stewards some leeway in making choices like this. Let's put it that way. Okay. Well, I don't want to get bogged down between those two things, uh, Chris, because there was another incident, a separate incident, where the two moves rule uh, came into effect. Well, the the thing that kind of annoyed me um, as well is that he gets told over the radio, you got a black and white flag, and he goes, why? <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. You know exactly what you did. It's like when Vettel said, when did I do dangerous driving in Baku? When you drove into another driver on purpose because you were having a paddy. Yeah, no, it would be <laughs> Nick. I don't think those two are remotely at the same uh, degree. No, certainly but not. But sure. And I, I think it's just a little bit of gamesmanship. You don't plead guilty um, right away. So I, I think he's just yeah. doing the standard line. Yeah, it is very standard. I think Chris is just expressing a, a general grumble. Uh, and we approve of that here. So so there's the crowding, map. There's the crowding off the track in the first incident. And then in the second incident about three separate things happened. So firstly, he's defending, uh, he, he cuts a corner and comes back out ahead. Some people would be calling for, oh, he's gained an advantage, uh, but he hasn't gained a lasting advantage. In fact, he put himself in a terrible position because Hamilton was then right up his gearbox coming to overtake. The issue I think that, that I had here was that he, he moves late to the left-hand side to block Hamilton down the inside. And we've seen late manoeuvres before. And when Magnussen's done similar things, we've gone, okay, that, that's rough, but you are ahead. You're clearly ahead and you've made a late move, sure, but you're, 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 you're defending your position. The problem for me in that scenario is then he then moved back to the right. And I think it's pretty clear that that is a second move, except for the fact that you're allowed to move back to the racing line. But when you do that, you have to leave a car's width. And then, but he didn't. So it does, you can sympathize with someone who feels like he's broken two rules on two separate occasions and each time has not been penalized for it. Oh, you can. And I think it's fairly clear if we go back to, let's say, Canada and impose that same level of stewardship, it's inconceivable that he would not have been punished for at least one of those maneuvers. However, after talking to all the stakeholders, let's call them so I don't have to name them all right now, 
the decision has been made to give the stewards more leeway, to give the drivers more leeway to race harder, which is the way you know we describe it. And what we saw today is a result of that. And Mazzi, uh, when he explained this, because the race director actually came out and explained this, the uh, the crowding one, he basically said, well, if we go back to last year and we look at uh, Verstappen and Botas, who had contact, Max got a penalty for the contact. If there had been contact, Leclerc would have gotten a penalty for the contact. So there are still some fairly clear lines being drawn. It's just your defensive opportunities have now been increased oh and i don't blame leclerc for doing what he did at all you've got to do everything you think you can get away with in line with the rules and and i suppose everything he's been shown matt with these decisions of late shows him that he's got more leniency and and that's the way he's he's approached the defense today but i would then say okay but is this the way forward so if hamilton does this in singapore it's going to be acceptable because Hamilton was driving to clearly in the interviews, he felt he was driving to a slightly different set of rules. So if he now does the same thing in Singapore, he's going to get away with it. Yeah. This is his Austria moment, which is what Leclerc had when Max did the same thing to him. And so the drivers are learning. They're learning what, what the new rules mean to them. And the smart ones are putting into their onboard computer and we will see their tactics change as a result, where I think the line is now going to be very much drawn is if you do that and cause a collision, or if you do that and crash somebody, then Mm -hmm. I think there will absolutely be penalties for it. So it's a very high risk maneuver. But I think ultimately, you're right. If I'm leading the race, when I cross the finish line, well, then let the stewards take it away from me. I will do everything I can in the meantime to not lose that place. And that that's what Leclerc showed us today, is that he has the mind of someone who can win a world championship because he really thinks that way. Okay. So two quick thoughts and one question. So first quick thought, yes, Charles, incredibly impressive today. Hard to believe that he's younger than Chris. Um, second thought, if I'm a driver at this time, I'm asking for uh, forgiveness first and not asking for permission anymore like you said and then my question is in regards to the the crowding are you pushing someone off the track if they have to go all four wheels off or are they supposed to be able to leave all four of their wheels within the white line or have we defined that exactly i i think i think it's pretty clear that if you're forcing a driver to leave the track and especially you're forcing him to to not be on the normal racing surface which is grass then you're, you're forcing him off track and i think the fact that he was given that warning, that black and white flag, is a clear indication that he did something wrong. But look, you know, all I want is consistency. And we've not had consistency this season, although we have had a consistent evolution of the rules. So if that evolution of the rules is going to be consistent, then that's fine. I can absolutely get on board with that as long as Bottas can do that to Vettel in the next race. But here's the important thing for me. If this was in the midfield at the Hungaro ring, would it have been a penalty? And I suspect that it would be. I think, you know, did we make a sporting decision based on what happened? Or did we make a sporting decision based on the fact that it would mean taking away a win from a Ferrari driver in Italy? And if that influenced the decision at all between penalty and warning, then I think that is an absolute disgrace from a sporting point of view. But if hand on heart, 
the stewards think that they would have given that same verdict if that was Grosjean on a cold, rainy night at Stoke and not Leclerc at Monza, then fine, I've got no problem. But I, I strongly suspect that that's not the case and that's what pinches Chris. I, I think the, the revolution here is the use of the black and white flag. And I think we'll see that a lot more over the rest of the season. And that's going to be kind of the game changer is that maybe you get, you get one offense and then you get penalized. That's exactly what Mazzy said. He's like, that is it. If you do it again, then it's a penalty. It's your warning that you've committed a foul. Wait a minute. Does that carry over? Does Leclerc now have a, does he have a yellow card for the next match or has he already had his warning? I, I think it's per race. So if he had, if he had pulled a similar maneuver later in the race, he would have been penalized for it. That's what the black and white flag think, tells. Well, him. well, there you go, there you go, guys. That's that's what you'd know now as an F1 driver is if you think there's only one window for that opposition team to come at you, you block, you weave, you scratch, you claw, you bite, you do two moves, you move in the braking zone, you crowd them off the track because you'll get a yellow card. You have to get a yellow card now. Because that's what happened today. It would be wildly inconsistent, Nick, if someone did the same thing and immediately got a stop go. I don't know. Um, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that was Hamilton's one and only chance. And it's hard to say if it was, if the penalty. No, no, no. But but it happens a lot. That that, that scenario happens a lot where there is that one opportunity to come charge. Right. But it's the same. I mean, if we're keeping with the soccer slash football analogy, um, if you take somebody out with the same exact clip of the foot and, you know, you're the last man, then it's going to be, it's going to be kind of the analogy of the, it was their only chance. Yeah. You're, you're, you're describing a professional foul. And yeah, maybe we could see that as a, an evolution in F1 rules that we see this professional foul coming in. So if it's kind of obvious that this was a do or die moment and you decided to cross that line, it might be judged a bit differently. But look, not taking anything away from Leclerc, if anything, it adds to this building legend of Charles Leclerc that he was able to judge the rules and the stewards' reaction to that extent, or at least realise that if he didn't do that, he was going to lose the race anyway. He 100% earned this race win, rode his luck, performed fantastically in what was not the best race car today. He outqualified his teammate who was in fourth place and he would have, I'm very confident, had the race pace over Sebastian Vettel as well. Uh, but I think let's play a little game of whose fault is this? Whose fault is it? We had a few little taps and stuff, didn't we? Uh, didn't we? Let's go to let's go to Nick first. I think the first contact we should talk about, Nick, and I'm not picking on you for any particular reason. Uh, but w- w- you know, what did you make of the the incident of Seb just not spinning off? It's the re-entry we're talking about and the contact with Stroll. I was going to say Seb's contact with uh, himself and the Holy Spirit, which is the, the the strong Catholic presence in the in the region. Uh, I believe er- Ericsson was in on the continent recently. Um, I tweeted out after uh, the the stroll fetal contact that uh, Seb did the bad thing. He definitely yeah. did do the bad thing. It was it was bizarre, and I don't know, Chris. How does it work in these situations? Is there is there someone in his ear saying, you know, go no go, or has he just had a little look over his shoulder and gone? It's probably okay. You you can't see out the side of a Formula One car, so he would have just driven onto the track and hoped 
that somebody wasn't um, there, do that. which is a little bit silly, really, because it was early in the race. The pack was still bunched up. And as much as Stroll had a go on the radio, he then did the exact same thing to Pierre Gasly. Right. So can, can we get a trigger warning for Ferrari fans? Just turn the volume down for a second. If you recall his spin last year where he had to wait for like 17 or 18 cars to go by to rejoin at the back, he's probably just being impatient, doesn't want that to happen again. Well, at least he could see them coming. Yeah, and more to the point, well, gee, I'm impatient at the red light, so I will just drive through it. It doesn't work like that. Uh, rejoining safely is part of the Formula One rule book, and he failed to do that. Now, granted, it was a close run thing. Stroll almost avoided him. He was not going fast, and it was very clear. But such is the nature of racing. Things are won and lost on fine margins, and he did he said after the race, he did say he looked, he did say he was unable to see any oncoming traffic, and that's why he went when he did. But the fact that he couldn't see it doesn't mean that it wasn't there. And he did have the option to reverse. Uh, there was options to... No? No option to reverse? Uh, reverse is very difficult to get in a Formula 1. Ah, well, if it's difficult in that case, just go blindly into oncoming traffic. It doesn't matter. I was absolutely gutted for Stroll and uh, at the time because I don't hate Stroll, believe it or not, because to just be picked out unexpectedly like that is just savage. I think um, the last time it was so random like that was Canada a couple of years back, and Massa just locked up and went into into the field and just picked out Perez perfectly, I think, if I'm serving my memory correctly. And Perez would have known nothing about that at all until Massa just came and took him out. Whereas with Stroll, you know, he's going along. Seb might have hit anyone, and it just randomly, like, took stroll out but like you say chris you know well nick you know stroll then did exactly the same thing to gasly well i was gonna say to be fair stroll shouldn't have been there he should have been farther back and his car should have been more bright and colorful and noticeable so it was stroll's fault and i'd be keen to point out as well that they came down on him hard the 10 second stop go that is the harshest penalty you can get without being disqualified from the race well and and license points He also got three points on his license as well, Matt, I think. Yeah. Okay, cool. Oh, let's see. Uh, Who caught the lap one incident? Okay, hold on. Matt is doing hand symbols. Nine points total. Three more and he's out for a race. Oh, dear. Well, there we go. Uh, Chris, did you catch the lap one Verstappen incident? It looked like everything was going along quite nicely and calmly. Then all of a sudden, he was diving off track and collecting a little bit of Perez. So bizarre, wasn't it? I I honestly couldn't give you a a proper explanation for what on earth happened. My only decent guess is that he suddenly had a lot less downforce than he expected. And that's why he he locked up, given all the cars that he was sat behind and all the dirty air he was sitting in and probably a bit of cold brakes because he was trying to be cautious and then maybe the concertina effect just caught him out slightly. There's always somebody who gets caught out at that first chicane because it's, it's a very long high speed run into a big stop and there's always going to be contact in there. Cool. I think we have two major talking points left and that is probably Bottas's challenge at the end of the race. And we have to talk about the Renaults a little bit as well. But first I would like to talk to you about Patreon. This podcast only survives because we are supported by fine patrons who go to patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. We basically have 309 board members now. 
who influence what we do. I love hanging out in our private Slack group. And I have to say, 90% of how much I care about feedback is what the Slack group is saying, and maybe 10% for what we read on Reddit or YouTube. Uh, we, we absolutely love hearing your feedback in the Slack group, and the community you guys have formed around it has been absolutely fantastic. So I always see Patreon, Patreon donations as as that. It is a donation because you want to see us survive and we've never seen it as buying anything and in return matt and i have tried we've tried to pay them back matt i mean i know the the patron podcast we do the patron only podcast i mean it is definitely worse content but we do get a little bit more personal yeah we talk about different stuff we sort of go on more tangents it's i mean we used to call it waffle didn't we yeah, we did, but but I think uh, they generally enjoy it for that very reason. It's more a casual discussion. And uh, like I said, we've never seen that as a oh, you're buying a thing with your Patreon Patreon support. You're supporting us, and then we try and do things that will improve your missed Apex experience. However, I am experimenting now with selling a thing. So all patrons have gotten the ad free. RSS feed as part of going to patreon.com forward slash missed apex. You then get an RSS feed that you can add to your podcast player. So what we're now introducing is a, a, an ad free unlock tier where that's all you get. So if you like us and you want to support us a little bit, but you're not sure you want all that other bump, do feel free to join the $1.99 tier and you can unlock ad free versions. We do about six episodes a month. So that adds up to about, uh, hang on, I've got to do quick maths. I should have worked this out before. About 33 cents or about 25p per episode for that ad-free feed. Um, but I must take the opportunity to say a massive thank you to the people who support us on the $5 tier and above. That is incredibly valuable to us and it absolutely makes my day when those uh, when those pledges come through. But if you want to support us in any way, go check out what's on offer at patreon.com forward slash missed apex uh chris bottas you didn't think it was a good choice to retain him for 2020 are we being too harsh on him for this race because everyone was kind of like everyone was reacting like oh you're rubbish bottas you couldn't overtake him oh did you think it was a good decision were you the other way sorry I was exactly uh, the other okay, way. Okay. Well, in that case, defend yourself. He did terribly this... See how I'm flip-flopping. He did terribly this race. He showed that when he had the opportunity, he could catch, but ultimately he had no teeth. Doesn't that show if they're in a proper title fight next year, they're going to suffer by not having a proper number two? No, because uh, for my money, uh, bar one mistake he made at the chicane late in the race... Valtteri Bottas did everything Lewis Hamilton did in in this race. He was close to him in the first stint. Um, Actually, I was going to bring this up in qualifying. Uh, According to some Mercedes data, so this might be slightly biased, um, but he backed off two-tenths of the Parabolica because of Raikkonen's red flag incident, and without that, he'd have been on pole position. Um, But um, he was was close to Lewis in in the first stint and, and ran the strategy properly. It was very uh, kind of Lewis to to lock up and go off just as Valtteri was catching him. But ultimately, I think it was the mediums just going away and mm. and the hard tire prevailing that stopped what? Valtteri. I'll admit there was a, a, an error in there, but I don't think that Hamilton would have got past him on the same strategy as Bottas. 
for example. Really? Well, well, Matt W404 in the chat room says, only because Bottas was given the better strategy was he in that position. You really don't think if Hamilton was in Bottas's position, was able to close that gap with eight lap fresher tyres, he wouldn't have made a better fist of it than, than what Bottas did. How many attempts did we see from Hamilton within the first few laps? We still, how even his lap 36 when we, 37 when he made his mistake, he was still within a second of Leclerc. Of the laps, Botas was in second. How many laps was he inside of a second, inside DRS? And I'm just saying it, it was not the same. It, you did not see the same level of, I don't know, would you call it urgency? It seemed to me. From Botas trying to get round Leclerc. It was like he sort of accepted, well, I'll, I'll have a go or two, but I mean, and of those laps, he made a mistake right out of the bat that almost doubled the amount of time that he had to, to, to reel in. So he spent most of his time making up for a mistake that he shouldn't have made on those tires. But that how many of Lewis's attempts were because of an error from Charles or because his tires went up to temperature because of a, a VSC? I think there are so many different factors you know in there that you can't just say Valtteri did a, a terrible job you know this weekend because for my money this was actually one of his his better races oh no he didn't do a terrible job but he also left a lot on the table in in my opinion so he did a good job but not a great job hamilton did a great job and that's always the problem when you start to compare the two and this is why people like myself We'll say that Ocon is the one who should be going into that seat next year. I think Mercedes left a lot on the table themselves. I'll just say that I think that Valtteri had an opportunity to really impress and, and really get a result and really do a thing. And he didn't do the thing. And I don't think that he drove terribly, but wasn't wasn't Robotas 2.0 or 3.0 or whatever um, left I, a little bit I, lacking. I think the, the Mercedes engineers looked at the data and thought that Bottas was going to win that race. I don't think they were encouraging him for no reason. I think they really were spurring him on. And I think there was a there was a time where he was like closing into the DRS where he made a mistake and then ended up back at like 1.6 seconds. Then he got into the DRS zone and no no Mercedes was overtaking a Ferrari down that back straight into turn one. It was all closing up over Curva Grande into turn three. So all he had to, not all he had to do, that's not fair, but it was important that he didn't go from overtaking to turn one in that DRS zone, stayed close to Leclerc and had a go at him. The same places that Hamilton was having a go at him, Matt. And, and he just, he just couldn't do it. That was two key mistakes in that chase. Yeah. The word is pressure. When Mm. Hamilton was behind, the pressure was constant and unrelenting, relenting. And we saw Leclerc make mistakes as a result of it. When Botas was behind, we did not see the same pressure. And Paul Barton makes a very good point, I think, in the chat room, that Botas is as good as it gets for a number two. If he was any better, he would destabilize Hamilton. And that may very well be true. I mean, that might have been what the ultimate decision came down to. But you live with those points next year if Ferrari or Red Bull are ultra competitive. And uh, Jake's saying maybe that Hamilton could have let Bottas pass sooner. I don't think so. I think that Hamilton lockup pretty much came as Bottas came up to that lead pair. Also, I think the the final point in this argument is, do we honestly think Ocon is going to do a better job than Bottas and take the fight to Lewis? I don't see it happening. No. 
No, I don't. Well, it doesn't really matter anymore because he's going to Renault. Well, yeah, but that's what people are always saying. So, Nick, don't don't ruin Nick's fantastic segue into Renault. That's what Nick was doing because he's a podcaster in his own right. He has a podcast where they some of the panel will read a book and then they'll all talk about the book, even the people who haven't read the book. And it's called Some of Us Have Read the Book Podcast, isn't it, Nick? Dot net, yeah. <laughs> no, What's it called? Are you still doing it? Uh, it's called the What's It About podcast. Um, you can find the link on my Twitter at Nick Alexander F1. And I have just done a big cross country move, which is why I haven't been here in a while. Um, the, the rumors of my, of my death and, and sacking are, are greatly exaggerated. Um, looking to bring it back soon with a uh, video man, Steve Amy. Fantastic. Hopefully in, hopefully in the next, uh, fortnight or. Steve Amy, uh, the video editor of Miss Apex podcast, responsible for all you see here in the shed. Chris Stevens, uh, you are a PR man these days. You still write the odd thing, but you are findable uh, on Twitter at Chris on Racing. Tell us about Renault. We've not seen much of them. We've certainly been disappointed, but they were there or thereabouts all weekend. Very surprising, wasn't it? Their low downforce package seems to work really, really well. And you think of high-speed tracks and Renault engines and think they don't really go together. But we saw with McLaren as well, they were right up there with Carlos Sainz right up until the horror pit stop. Uh, But, you know, fourth and fifth, granted, you know, we've had some of the key players taken out there, but they were still the class of the, uh, the midfield. And uh, I was surprised to see as well, they weren't actually relatively that far off the leaders by the end of the race. The the gap between Ricardo and Leclerc, the checkered flag, was 45 seconds. Usually you'd expect it to be a lap um, under, in a normal race. So I was very pleasantly surprised. And um, I want to I say a great opening lap by Nico Hulkenberg, where he basically, by passing Vettel around the outside, held up a massive banner saying, somebody hire me for 2020. Um, unfortunately, as soon as Daniel Ricciardo got past him, that banner burst into flames. Yeah, uh, so something to cheer about for the Aussie fans. Are they going to have more to cheer about throughout the season? Is this a Monza quirk? Because Monza can favour the odd kind of special play. Are they going to be strong as the season goes on? I, I think uh, not so much because we've seen their chassis still needs a little bit of work. And, you know, we're going to Singapore in two weeks and you could not have two more different races right next to each other in the calendar. You know, th- this is the lowest downforce package versus the highest downforce package in Singapore. It's the quickest race versus the slowest race, the longest one versus the shortest one um, in, in Monza. So, we're going to get a real jumble of the order between uh, these two races because they are so different. Yeah, I think Renault's best chances, and it pains me to agree with Chris for any reason whatsoever, uh, Same. have ended here at Monza. What's interesting to me to see is how well, as was mentioned, their power unit has done um, so on tracks that are very power sensitive, they are capable of putting in really good results. Unfortunately for them, there's not really any tracks like this left throughout the rest of the season, although some may come closer than others. I expect them to continue to sort of be there or thereabouts. We'll see different midfield teams. And really, I think McLaren has to be still considered the class overall because Sainz would have been up there if they could have remembered how to put his wheels on properly. 
What a beautiful segue. Thank you, Matt. I was just going to say, it's hard to talk about Renault without talking about McLaren um, because you have the works Renault team and you have the top, well, the only Renault customer team. And so I believe it was six and seven for Renault in Belgium and Lando's uh, engine went bang on the last lap and got nothing. And then it was a four or five here in Monza for Renault and uh, McLaren managed a, a lonely point, a 10th. And so, I mean, you guys might want to twist the knife and, and make fun of me for uh, Sebastian throwing things away. But really, if you're, if we had a token McLaren fan on the podcast, we'd really be uh, throwing things at them. I mean, they, Renault has certainly made hay while the sun was shining. Yeah, they have, but I don't think you can look at McLaren and blame Renault engines going bang on McLaren, unless you're going to blame them for having done too good a job. Let's move on to the podium. A fantastic race for Formula One, the 87th brilliant F1 race this season, the the, the fact that the championship looks like it's been sewn up has kind of taken the edge off it. Of course, we have seen big margins uh, overtaken before. However, you cannot deny that we've had fantastically exciting and interesting races in a variety of different ways this season, from washed out, uh, rain-soaked German Grand Prix to tactical masterclasses. Nick, it's hard to argue, even for a Ferrari fan who is looking at his drivers in fourth and fifth place in the championship to argue that it hasn't been good individual races. Oh yeah. I'm so glad I didn't stop watching after France. Like we were all, like we were all going to do. Um, Mm. I'm actually kind of glad that we've taken the edge off of the championship fight again. Um, I I consider myself kind of a laid back person. I don't know that I would want to come on and do the argument about the Leclerc and Hamilton battle. Um, if they were fighting for the championship and if every point mattered in that matchup, I just think the temperature, um, the temperature has come down a bit, but it's still, it's still good. And I, I really like where we're at right now. Well, it's time for some awards. However, we, we have discussed Nick and I, and I don't know if this is allowed even because we could never do this in soccer. We could never do this in football. You are considering moving your fandom, and I think that you need the permission of the Missed Apex audience to validate this. I think we need an advisory referendum, which you will apparently be legally bound to carry out, on whether or not you can perform the action you are thinking about performing now. Tell us tell us what you're thinking of, Nick. Right, so I don't know anything about referendums and wouldn't possibly Me have any either. comments on those. Um, all I know is you can never have a second referendum. Um, yeah, we could do a Twitter poll. So um, I am considering switching my fandom from, from Ferrari to Red Bull. And the reason is very simple. I am a fan. I find myself cheering them on. I find myself happy when they do well. Uh, I like the way the cars look. I like Aston Martin road cars. Uh, I like the association with 007, all their promotions. I find that they are much more open on social media than Ferrari is. I think it goes without saying. Um, so I, I want to switch my fandom, but I don't want to be accused of jumping on a bandwagon. So I thought I'd have the idea of 
uh, of switching in 2020 of, of having my Ferrari contract go out at the end of 2019. Well, a snap poll of commenters in our chat group is telling me that you are on the right track with this. And I, I suppose well, you can never believe the early polls. <laughs> We're getting on, getting on before the full hype train for 2020 Red Bull or 2021 Red Bull. I, I think we might have to put it down to a, a Twitter poll on the Missed Apex account. So you can follow us at Missed Apex F1. Uh, you can follow me at Spanners Ready. And you can follow my co-host, Matt Trumpets there, at MattPT55 on Twitter. And I have a big announcement. My wife's book officially comes out tomorrow. Just thought I would sneak that in there. Before Your wife I has, a, has a book out? Wow. Okay. She does. Loving the Laws of Motion. Officially out tomorrow. Tons of social media from her at A Weaver Writes. And if you know someone who enjoys books in that genre, by all means, please encourage them to go check it out. Absolutely. Physics-based romance. Astrophysics. Yes. Okay. Well, I don't know if I want science ruining my mucky books, but hey, there's kinks for everyone. Let's give out our awards. The thing of the weekend award is the positive award. What person, place or thing was most noteworthy for you? Chris Stevens, who gets your thing of the weekend award? Um, I think it's got to be the super easy, obvious one of seeing Leclerc on the podium in the famous red Ferrari suit in front of the Tifosi, that atmosphere. I mean, can you imagine being one of those people in the crowd and you will one day tell your grandkids, I was at the race when Charles Leclerc won his first race for Ferrari at Monza. Did you see um, Leclerc cheekily playing the crowd, like not quite coming out onto that uh, podium and like, hanging back, wait, putting his ear out, waiting for the cheers and really milking and enjoying every moment. Very, very hard to, to begrudge him or the Ferrari fans that. And I know people get very upset about the booing, but it's the home of Ferrari. And as far as Ferrari fans are concerned, Lewis Hamilton is the big bat and he, you know, has won there in the past. I think it is Alonso was the last Ferrari driver to win at Monza. Let them enjoy the win. Just let them boo. It's absolutely fine. Crack on. It's a, I think very similar scenes have happened at Silverstone. I think that's just part of sport. Nick, who's your thing of the weekend? My, my thing of the weekend. And this is, this is a, uh, just a comical one, but, um, when there was about three or four minutes left in Q3 and no one had come out yet and uh, Ted Kravitz was calling it a Mexican standoff and then he hummed the tune from uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly quite badly. I, I thought that was hysterical. And I also thought that the spaghetti Western reference in Italy was was most apt. So I appreciated that. Fantastic. Matt Trumpets, who gets your thing of the weekend? Right. So I'm going to ask this question does Chris's thing of the weekend encompass the battle between Hamilton and Leclerc? Because you might have to give it, because when have, when have we seen a battle for the lead that long in Formula One? But I have to say it's running neck and neck with Martin Brundle's conversation with Rosberg about Monaco. Oh, where uh, basically Brundle... Uh, said to said basically accused Rosberg of cheating at the Monaco Grand Prix uh, and and to be fair it is only because Rosberg definitely cheated at the Monaco Grand Prix locking up and qualifying and stopping Hamilton uh, beating his quality time Chris uh yeah I thought that was um quite funny actually and, and Rosberg was a little little guarded about that rightly so because uh, it was a very controversial moment um actually uh, Lewis Donahue in the chat 
has just reminded me of something that I did absolutely love apart from the Claire on the podium, which was uh, Lando Norris's uh, Valentina Rossi hat, uh, where it's covered, it was covered in 46 and the Doctor, and I appreciate that because I love Valentina Rossi. Amazing. I'm going to give my thing of the weekend to Renault because pound for pound, their fifth and sixth place is absolutely punching. Not only did they get the best of the rest, but this season... Uh, what's that? Fourth and fifth? Oh, fourth and fifth. Oh, blimey. Okay, that's even better. Wow. Um, not only did they win best of the rest, and not only did they do more than seventh, they got up to fourth, but two cars in in fourth and fifth, and two cars basically in first and second in Formula B is is fantastic because not many other teams have been doing that and it didn't look like a fluke it looked like they were shaped up for that all season so that's why i'm going to give my thing of the weekend to renault but we can't be all positivity i think we have to give a bad thing award out as well oh no you missed the apex chris stevens who missed the apex for you i'm torn between Alex Albon for just cutting a chicane and gaining a place and thinking that's fine, I won't, I definitely won't get a penalty for that. Um, or whoever at Alfa Romeo decided that the Q2 tire rule doesn't apply to them, and because they're starting from the pit lane, they can decide on whatever tire they want. And I, I think I'm going to go for the latter. Okay, uh, Nick Alexander, who missed the apex for you? Uh, I'm going to beat up on him a little bit and I'm going to say the McLaren pit stop and the loose wheel, um, back to back weekends with, with a lot of points on the table, the lost has to be pretty painful. Yes, uh, definitely. And, and you're absolutely right. I think, um, we have got McLaren panelists who aren't on this week who will be gently banging their head against the table. Uh, Matt Trumpets, who missed the apex for you? Uh, I could be crazy, but like, um, that'll no that's fine absolutely fine yeah but we're kind of used to that now it's just yeah i, I mean it's interesting the alfa romeo thing is bayat zender and he, because raikkonen started from the pit lane he thought the q2 rule didn't apply and that's why raikkonen started on the wrong tire so uh, yeah you should know the rules if you're director of operations for formula one team but you can understand why he, that mistake might have been made um and Boy, am I going to just argue with Chris instead of do this category, aside from saying Vettel? Yes, pretty much. Albon cut the chicane to get ahead of Magnussen, which he did, and he was, when Magnussen retired, almost 15, 20 seconds up the road. So, yeah, it made sense because he couldn't get around him any other way. It's, again, one of those penalties that one takes. Okay, so uh, Lyndon Lewis in the chat room says the race director missed the apex. That was some terrible, terrible production. So much of the action was missed. It was f- so frustrating. At the um, at the at the first replay they showed of the start, what we were wanting to see really was what happened to Verstappen, and they they went in car with Verstappen, and they started heading off down the start finish straight, and then they cut away to Hamilton's start. No, we want to see what happened to Verstappen. And while all that was happening, the Renaults were swapping places, four places, you know, not not four, as in four a place. And it was Ricardo overtaking Hulkenberg, which was incredibly significant and would have decided ultimately who was fourth in this Grand Prix. It was super frustrating. So when you say race director, you mean the the TV? The TV, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not race director Massey. No, no, no. Whoever was deciding which shots were shown, it was um, it was uncharacteristically bad. We expect a high standard. 
Um, okay, so uh, my missed the apex has to go to right. Okay, so don't get don't get angry here because it is going to be assuming I have any kind of metaphorical power, a suspended sentence, right? But I am going to suspended provisionally give my missed apex award to the stewards. Unless, unless when a similar situation comes up with a different set of drivers, they are consistent. Because right now, my feeling is they were heavily, heavily influenced by their desire to leave the the circuit in one piece nick and i i think they're in there however they deny it the scale and severity of their penalty and their decision was influenced by the situation and i think as a sport if you want to be taken seriously as a sport it has to be the same whether it's a ferrari driver leading at monza or whether it's grosjean in singapore Okay, so I agree with the sentiment wholeheartedly. Uh, we have the same in, in hockey here in, in what's possibly Canada where I live, uh, where playoff hockey, they put the whistles away and it's like, no, rules are rules. And if it's a rule, it should be a rule. But I cannot wait to argue until we're blue in the face when this situation does happen about whether or not it was in fact similar. Because that seems to be what we always argue about. Like, no, it's not the same as what happened in Canada. Well, it's completely I, it, it, different. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be the same. All, all that it has to be is a consistent punishment. Basically, a first offence now isn't a penalty. So you, you can you can crowd, you can weave, because it it was it was weaving. It was two moves. You can break late. You can move late, and you will get a warning. And what gave away that he got a second warning was the fact that the race engineer came on and said, "Charles, no more moving in the braking zone." And his reply was, oh, "I didn't do that." But clearly, they'd been given an instruction, say to your driver, don't do this again, or you will get penalized. And that was the second time. So he didn't just get one warning, he got two. So let's look for the consistency in getting a warning before being punished, not for exactly identical racing incidents. I think you could say that the radio message was an elaboration on the black flag. I don't know that you can assume that it means that he did it twice. No, one was shoving off and one was the later moving in the braking zone and two moves clearly well for, for me yeah the radio message was informing him that he'd been given the black and white flag because i don't actually that know ha- no that happened twice it was i i thought it was two separate completely separate things one was moving under braking and one was the the, the crowding and he got the black and white flag for that i think they were the, the same incident really okay Thank you very much to our chat room for keeping us company on this race review. We do like to give an award out and we call that award. Comment of the week. Matt, give us a few contenders and a winner of comment of the week. I just want to say this is going to be really challenging because the chat room has really brought their A game today. But first, I got to shout out Armand Erikens, if I've got that right, for chucking some money in the till during the YouTube show. Don't forget... You can always do that, and we promise we won't spend it on beer or whiskey or gin. Or actually, we probably super chat um, donations may be spent on beer or whiskey. Absolutely. Um, and let's see, where do I want to start? With Ian Frost, trumpets look so handsome. C O T W. I don't really know what that means, but it makes me look good, so I'm going to read it. I don't believe that was a real comment. All right. Uh, at the top, Jason Miller referencing our own Chris on Racing Stevens. Chris' entire house is built on a 45-degree angle, talking about his opinions, being perfectly in the middle. Very good and true. Um, I would like to jump down and say that um, 
Matt W404, in true Red Bull fashion, Nick should make the switch mid-season. Yeah, well, you might um, get demoted if you don't cheer them on well enough. You might have to become a Toro Rosso fan. Absolutely. And make the switch whether I'm ready or not. <laughs> uh, Robert Sims, the soundboard is a joint venture between Williams, Vettel, and Haas. Oh, great. So now I'm torn that I can't edit out the terrible soundboard. Uh, you know, thanks for having sympathy, chat room. I really struggled with that this week. And I think we're going to go with one more. Chris Fonseca, back from being married. It's extra worrying when Stroll is showing that he can drive just like Vettel, proving himself to be the perfect replacement. Congratulations to Christopher for getting married. Do be aware it is a trap if uh, if she comes home with a puppy. That is a gateway baby. Don't be fooled. Don't fall into the same trap as me and Matt. Do we look happy? No, not at all. We're tired and miserable. And for us, the war is over. Matt, who gets the award? All right. I'm going to throw a little bit of suspense in. Mark Greenhow just bought us half a beer on YouTube. Thank you for that. Thank and you, the Mark. winner is Matt W404. In true Red Bull fashion, Nick should make the switch mid-season. Comment of the week. Thank you very much to the live chat room. And thank you for joining us on our race review podcast. Uh, Matt and I are going to get together at some point tomorrow, if we can find time, to do a patron podcast and if you want access to that do feel free to go to patreon.com forward slash missed apex uh we have a full patron suite of things that we offer uh, but we do also now have the option to just remove uh, the ads and have an ad free rss feed for a dollar 99 that's 33 cents an episode and we would really really appreciate your support on wednesday I'm going to be catching up with F1 superstar journalist Chris Medland, and we are going to be again teaming up with Reddit uh, r slash Formula One to do a Q&A. So you'll be able to get your questions in on Reddit, follow all our Twitter and Facebook feeds to find out where you can put your questions to Chris. And we're going to record a live Q&A uh, at 2 p.m. I think on Wednesday, of course, it will all be available afterwards. And we'll do our news catch up show on Sunday at 8 p.m. as usual. And of course, Fanners, in exactly two weeks today, we'll be doing our live race review after our karting at Buckmore. Yes, I still haven't quite figured out how that's going to work, but we are all going to be in a room together, including Matt Trumpets all the way from America land. Nick couldn't be bothered for some reason, even though he's a fantastically wealthy accountant. I assume they're all wealthy. Uh, but we are going to be in the same room, I think, uh, me, Chris, Matt... Uh, possibly Alex Van Jean, Sarah Nichols is going to be there. Kyle Power, possibly, because he's staying overnight. He likes a good beer up, does Kyle. And Chris Catman-Turner. So we'll all watch the the race um, in the button suite of Buckmore Park. Thank you very much to Buckmore Park uh, Karting for letting us use that facility. And then we'll do our live race review from there. So it will sound a little different. It may be edited a little differently as well, uh, but it should be a lot of fun. Wherever you catch us next, remember to be brave because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Okay, live chat. Let's let's do a deal, okay? Don't give Matt really funny comments that point out errors I made in the live recording that I'm gonna edit out.
and that you've now drawn. I would have got away with it, Matt, if it wasn't for that sneaky chat room and their pesky dog. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think people will just interpolate that you had some soundboard issue that's been edited and still think it funny. But okay, hey. fine. I'll edit. I'll find. If you're going to be reasonable, Matt, I don't know what I what I can do. Oh, it's horrible. It's, I think it was only me that could hear the fuzz, but I couldn't it get is. out of my head that everyone could hear it, and it was driving me mad. So I had to disconnect it and then connect it again. And then I was trying to find a just a. I was trying to find another cable, which I couldn't. And I was trying to repatch it. And then my pen hit the thing. And now everything's ruined. And I'm basically jeansy. And just... I just you know. Spiral. I you swear, never, that, you never that 30 go full seconds of content needs to go out by itself. No. Genius. No, after my Harry Potter rant as well last week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.